Hello and welcome to the No Pun Included podcast, the only podcast about board games that's been designated as a national heritage site. Wow. It's a big honor. Uh, I want to thank everyone involved in No Pun Included, that being myself and also my co-host Elaine. And maybe the dog, you know. She, she, she had some... They've heard her waff. Yes, uh, and, and, and they said this waff is a national treasure. <laughs> And, this is true. And therefore, we must designate this podcast. I feel like we've received a lot of awards recently. It's it's a clearly a... a sign that we're doing something right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Okay. With that, uh, we will be reviewing two board games on this episode, the 23rd. Lightly reviewing. Lightly reviewing. So we have to preface this a little bit. So today we'll be covering two games, that being Destinies and also Descent Legends in the Dark. Both of these games have a point of comparison. And whilst we're going to go over them individually at first, we are also going to be comparing them later. It is also worth noting that Descent Legends in the Dark is a brand new game from Fantasy Flight Games. And that means that as we are reviewing it, it is still currently under embargo. Now, when this podcast episode will go out, it will have partially left embargo and what i mean by that is that we are only allowed to discuss quests one two and three and also six but we haven't played six we don't know what six is it doesn't matter we've only played episodes one two and three so this will be very much a first taster of what descent legends in the dark is whilst the full review will be going out on our youtube channel a little bit later Uh, When the embargo is fully released. Yeah, when the embargo is fully released, if we manage to finish the review by that time. Finally, Descent Legends in the Dark was a review copy provided to us by Fantasy Flight Games, whereas Destinies is a game published by Lucky Duck Games. However, this one we acquired ourselves. Acquired? You make it sound so ominous. Indeed. (laughs) Indeed. Like we got it from a guy that, you know, opened his uh, Macintosh and there it was. Look, there's there's nothing salubrious about shady board game deals, and I'm not going to go and discuss the details, because it would make people's hair stand on their heads. Oh, fortunately on their heads. Yeah, if if they were to learn the truth. Elaine, in your own words, would you tell us what Destiny is? In my own words? In your own words. As opposed to whose words? I don't know, like the marketing blurb on the back of the board game? Oh, I I should have done that. We want your original ready salted words, Elaine. Well, in my original ready salted words, it is a game where you have an app and the app will tell you um, how to lay out a map. So Uh you have various map tiles uh, and you will lay them out and then you will do a little adventure round the map and there will be different locations on the map that you can explore or interact with and you will find out various different things. But the the thing is with it is that you have uh, destinies. I mean, it's in the Mm -hmm, title, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. It should be a clue. You're you're not just no one. You have a a big deal event coming in the future. You don't know if that's necessarily you're the good guy or the bad guy in this Uh. sometimes, right? 
And you have to try and work towards one of those destinies. So you have two as an individual player. It is not a cooperative game. It is a competitive game. Uh, But you have two individual destinies and you can work towards one of them. And so does the other person. And it's kind of like a little race, I guess, to see who gets to their destiny first and completes it. And you have various things that you have to kind of pick up and deliver, really, I guess, to try and complete that destiny. Well, there's a couple of things that I already want to latch on to. So first of all... Uh, when you began describing destinies, mm. it to me sounded uh, in this pretend world where I don't know about the game. Like this is oh a cooperative game. You know, you have a map, right? You have an app, you have an adventure. Uh, but no, 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 uh, you are actually competing against each other, and that is odd. And we'll touch a little bit more mm. on that later. But also there is the other thing, which is there's there's this whole destiny thing, right? And you might be a good person or a bad person, uh, and that's also interesting, yeah. right? Um, so I want to uh, sort of uh, briefly go over uh, like my experience of how I interacted with that. When you start Destinies, there, there are five scenarios. And as an aside, also, it's a one to three player game, which also puts it in very odd huh. territory. And the first scenario is a standalone scenario that doesn't really conjoin onto anything. And then scenarios two to five are like a campaign of sorts. Although I will say right now that we've only played scenarios one through three Mm -hmm. and scenarios two and three felt only very tangentially related. Yes, because you still play different characters within those scenarios. And that's the kicker, right? So for every scenario, there's a different set of three potential characters. Mm. And I'm wondering if they decided that this is a maximum three-player game because it was just too much work to create a fourth character Possibly. for each scenario. And and also, I don't begrudge them that decision, because I feel like these types of games mostly get played in a two-player environment. And if you make it a three-player game, you're sort of adding the possibility of like uh, making it a family game. Although, I would say... I would not recommend anyone play this with their children because the subject matter in this game is like leans on the adult side. Yeah, maybe, maybe a little. So characters, you have an individual character each time you play the scenario. And the reason they are different characters between scenarios, so there's like no follow through of the same character, Mm. is because you have two destinies and you choose which one you work towards. You can work towards both. And sometimes it happens inadvertently that you're working towards both uh, because a lot of this game is just stabbing things in the dark and seeing if anything sticks. Mm -hmm. And you're meant to keep these destinies secret from the other players. So uh, if you played the same character, people will already know what your destinies are. Also, the destinies are intrinsically tied to the plot of the scenario so they wouldn't make sense in terms of carrying over. Yeah, and we actually, we don't know how, um, even though we've played a couple of scenarios, we haven't played, like you said, you know, all of them. Mm. We don't know how the decisions that you've made or the resolution to the destinies affects anything else in the game. It might do or it might not. You mean in, in the grand overarching plot? Right. Yeah. Right. Because I, I guess this will have minor spoilers in it because I don't think we can talk about this game with entirely no spoilers. But we, can, we'll try we, and, we can try and restrict ourselves to the first scenario. Yeah. 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 But yeah, within the, the whole plot, we don't know if something that we've done will have a knock-on effect. We haven't seen that yet. Mm-hmm. 
But it might. Here's the thing, Elaine. I don't want to. What? Why? You know why, because this game's not very good. I, it, it's not bad, though. Like, I didn't have a bad time playing it. No. Right. I, well, okay, I didn't have a bad time playing it up to a point. Right. And and this is probably a little bit controversial, because uh-huh. I think this game was quite well received. Mm-hmm. And, and I also do want to talk about it, because it, it, it has been touted as uh, another open world sandbox exploration game mm. therefore a game like seven continent or tainted grail or sleeping gods yeah. uh, all of which we have covered uh and uh, two of which we have covered twice in the same video <laughs> as sleeping gods anyway here's the thing it's not whatever the marketing material tells you for the game it is op- absolutely not an open sandbox exploration mm. game it's just a scenario based adventure game and that's it there's there's no open world you just get a scenario and then you explore that scenario and then when the plot of that scenario is done you go somewhere else and i guess there there is a little bit of open exploration vibe to it because within that scenario you can technically go where you want but you just have two plot threads and you follow either one or another or both so that's that's a good point because like you were saying earlier about um, you might end up following the two destiny paths. It's kind of by accident that you stumble onto things because when we started, I looked at the two destinies and thought, okay, this is the one that I want to do because I feel like this is more morally good. Uh I don't really want to go down this other path. I want to do this one. Yeah. But my character wasn't a good character. So anything that I did was kind of the bad one. Yeah. Um, And I think you kind of had a more positive character, like a more morally good character. I think my character was more integral to the plot overall as well. And that was purely by chance because I just picked a character without knowing... When you pick a character, you don't know anything about them. You just know the archetype. So, for example, uh, in the first scenario there's the witch the noble and the huntsman i Mm -hmm. think and you just that's all you know you pick one and then from there on you'll learn more about them Mm. and i'm not going to spoil anything about them i will say though that the first scenario was much more interesting than scenarios two and three and from what i've heard uh like a little bit of minor spoilers i've heard about the end of the campaign scenarios four and five don't get more interesting than before So that sort of leaned me away from it even further. And that's why I kind of was happy to stop at Scenario 3 and not continue playing. Mm. So the cool thing about Scenario 1 was that the characters that we were playing were not reliable characters. So Unreliable narrators. Yeah, sort of. Like, they had their own vision of what was happening, but that wasn't necessarily what was going on. And so when you're following plot threads you're 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 getting information but then you're going wait a minute and like am i the bad guys Uh (laughs) you know and 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 that's a nice feeling because then you're interacting with the plot in a different way you're going i you know what what's being told to me is just my interpretation of what's actually happening and that might not be entirely the case and that added like a layer to the puzzle that was very enjoyable but then scenarios two and three completely abandoned that and there is nothing interesting going on on that level it's just you get a quest you are the person that you are and within that you can make very morally great choices and you do the thing and then the thing is done yeah no i agree with you completely like the the first one was was really interesting but i think because you learn that that you are the unreliable narrator that what you're reading is almost 
your own thoughts being projected back to you or you know you're the one that's looking out the window describing the scenery mm-hmm. right so if someone else was looking out the window they would be describing it in a different way right so i think that was interesting because we only just learned that whereas then in scenarios two and three it didn't lean so heavily on it like you said and also it was a lot more obvious what the bad path was but what i did like was how the different characters in the game because it is an app because it's not a book of stories or book of paragraphs that you read the app will change the response from one character to another. Mm. And I like that a lot. So so if your quest is, I don't know, to get milk, right, and my yeah. quest isn't, if I talk to someone, they won't talk to me anything about milk because they don't care because I'm, I'm not the one that's going to be bringing them milk. Whereas if you speak to them, then they will. I think this brings me into mention the gimmick of the game, sure. which is uh, it's something we've sort of neglected talking about. Mm. Uh, and the gimmick is the QR codes. So yes. everything in the game has QR QR codes, and when you want to interact with a thing or with the person with a thing, uh, then you scan the thing's QR code. So, and and I'm making this vague, but I'll give you some examples. So, so let's say I'm trying to climb a cliff, and I have a card that says rope, and the card has a QR code. And uh, on the map, I walk up to a cliff, and it says, "How do you want to climb this cliff?" And it'll have the option to scan a QR code. Yes. So I could scan the card for the rope. I could also scan the card for a fancy hat or I could scan a card (laughs) with some fish. Uh, And and either of those are valid options, but only in terms of like the app is going to tell you what the result of scanning that thing is. And maybe if you try to use a fish to scale a cliff, then it'll just say, well, you, you, you use the fish, you ruin the fish. It's slimy. You slip, you fall. I like how you said scale. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was quite smart. Uh, Yeah, it kind of gave me the vibe very, very slightly of Escape the Room games in that sense of you can try different things, but only one of them is going to work. Well, maybe a couple of them are going to work. There are are instances where, like, clearly the task requires an archetype of an item and anything within that sort of archetype can be used. And sometimes it, it even rewards you for like a clever uh, idea. Like, I think so, yeah. You know, you go, oh, can I use this thing? It, it doesn't seem likely, but maybe. And then you scan it and the app goes, oh, yeah, use the thing. And then the thing happens and you're like, whoa. I know you called it a gimmick, but I liked it a lot more than you did because what I liked about the cards were that they had two uses. So one was the standard like rope and then it gives you a thing, you use it once and then you discard. Like there's an ability on it. Like there's an ability on it that might make you roll extra successes on your dice or do something else like that, standard ability. And then there is the QR code that you can apply to something else and see if it will let you climb the cliff or go down the well or do whatever Mm. and see if that thing actually works or if it doesn't. And it will always tell you. It won't just say, you're an idiot. Why did you use that? It will give you a reason why it doesn't work. Yeah. And I like that a lot about it. So uh, the other thing I want to mention is, I guess, the... Uh, the presentation style of Destinies. Mm. And and by the way, the QR thing, it very clearly uh, riffs on uh, the publisher's previous title, Chronicles of Crime. Mm. So if you're familiar with that, which was yeah. like a, a kind of a detective whodunit solve it puzzle, uh, this is very much the same system. Yeah, it does a similar thing. Yeah, yeah. but but implemented in a, in a, I would say, cleverer and more engaging and intriguing way. Yeah, maybe it's, it's come a bit further, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They've had more time to develop it or the technology yeah. is better or whatever. Yeah, but the thing is, for me, 
all of that stuff always relies on scenario design. Mm. You know, like how good is the scenario design? Is it engaging? And the answer is fleetingly <laughs> uh, because the first scenario I thought was engaging, but even then I felt like, well, this is a little wonky in places. Maybe mm -hmm. it's going to get better. And sadly it doesn't, it gets worse. Um, it gets more generic, more rote. And here is, I think, where for me, Destiny's really, really falls down. Mm -hmm. um, whilst I won't spoil what any of the Destinies are, I, I will sort of mechanically elaborate on it a little bit because I can't criticize the game without mentioning it. So if you really, really don't want to know anything about it, you know, maybe skip till um, Elaine's going to include in the edit maybe a time code or something like that. Um, okay. Surprise, I inserted myself all along. The non-spoiler bits resume at 17 minutes, 50 seconds. Okay, so the vaguest of spoilers in five, four, three, two, one. Here's the thing, Elaine, here's mm. the thing. Um, I don't know if you felt the same about this, mm. and I'd love to hear it, but for me, it felt like when I was doing the first quest, my destinies felt interesting and you know like it let me engage with the world in a different way and i got to choose how i engaged with that world yes in a different way uh but mechanically they were very much go do two of that thing or three of that thing yeah and then in the second scenario i didn't feel like they let me engage with the world in an interesting way just sort of like in a rote way and then it was get two of that thing or three of that thing. And in the third scenario, it was get two of that thing and three of that thing. Was it the same for you? That's why I called it a pick up and deliver game. <laughs> because that's how it felt a little bit, that, that you had things that you needed to do. You have to go and do them and then deliver them to someone else or talk to someone else about the thing that you've just done. And that's how you, you know, fulfilled part of your destiny. And the thing that I found with it more was that, like, I didn't mind that so much, but the thing I found with it more was that it was kind of a little bit too random for me. So when I went to speak to someone, okay, they didn't give me part of my destiny. Then I went to someone else and they didn't. Okay, if I can just interrupt a little bit, the spoilers uh -huh. are now done. We can just talk normally. I spoiled the sort of mechanical conceit of the destinies and that's that's all that was spoilery i guess yeah i kind of spoiled that earlier a little bit as well though when we were talking yeah i anyway, don't anyway whatever so so it was more that it was so so random in the, in what i got on when like i felt like you were whizzing off on at least one of your destinies because the thing is so the way that the app works is that you have your secret destiny mm -hmm. right that you don't share with anyone else playing. But then when you speak to someone, in the, like an NPC in the game, that gives you something to do with your destiny because some of them you can ask about, about one of your destinies. And when they give you some information, you have to read it out loud or you have to sh show the app to everyone so they can read it themselves. So everyone kind of learns a little bit about what your destiny might be, right? And so I knew that you had got some way towards what, you wanted wanted to do mm -hmm. and in in both of them yeah and I was kind of floundering going who am I supposed to speak to where am I supposed to go and that might be a reflection of me as a player that I just am too bimbly and not linear enough and I don't listen to the instructions enough so that might be entirely on me but it didn't feel much fun no, but also at the same time, I felt like, so I won every single one of the we games uh, we played, but I felt like I just stumbled into the things that led me towards the thing where I wanted to go. Because to an extent, I guess I do have to admit, this is a little bit open world. You can go 
wherever you want on the map, although mm. the map within itself is very contained. I would compare it less to something like video game genre of open world games like Breath of the Wild, right? Right. And more like Baldur's Gate or like a computer RPG sure. where you go to a town and within that town there's a couple of things going on and you can go wherever you want to within that town. In any order. Yeah. yeah. But your scenario is contained to that one town, right? Yeah. And so you, you do the things in that one town and then it's done and then the next scenario move on to the next town or whatever. You can do what you want within walls. Yes. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right? And and I just felt like I was stumbling into the correct locations and talking to the correct people. Mm. And it was... Pure luck. It was absolutely pure luck. And I, did, I didn't feel like I did anything clever to earn my progression through the destiny. I'm not saying that that's not fun, right? Yeah. Because there is an element of like, well, we're, there's an emergent story and we are interacting with it. But I didn't feel like I earned my victories, if that makes sense. But maybe you did. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Maybe subconsciously you read the story and thought, ah, oh, this is what I need to do now. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. That didn't click for me for whatever reason, right? So maybe it was skill rather than luck. I don't know. Well, here's the thing. I want to I want to briefly mention what happens at the end before we go into some of the cultural applications okay. of destinies. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I did find that was funny is, is the fact that the game is competitive, and when you end the scenario instead of like uh you getting uh like everyone getting a resolution as to what happened based on the events that transpired like the person who wins get to con- gets to conclude their story mm. the person the people who lost also get a conclusion which is nice and satisfying but that conclusion is so incredibly mean <laughs> to the person who lost you it's walk like- dejectedly out of the town <laughs> that that would be a mild way of putting it but basically, you you wrap up, and then the people who've lost wrap up in a way that kind of kicks them when they're down. Yeah. And I found that, okay, it's not going to be for everyone, but I at least found that amusing. You know, like, oh, you lost. It ha-ha. kind of was. Yeah, 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 but it didn't feel like it was a ha-ha. It didn't feel like you, as the winner, were laughing at me as no. the loser. It felt like the game was going, oh, you think, you think this is bad? What about this and this and this? And we were both laughing at it. Like, yeah. I didn't feel bad from it. No, things that did make me feel bad. Uh. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the setting. So the setting is uh, you're in a medieval type world and the medieval type world is dying. Mm. There are the, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse coming. <laughs> like, literally. This, and this isn't a spoiler. It's within mm. the brief of the game. And, you know, things are going to get worse. And so within that, there is a very big uh, thematic thread line of the dichotomy between paganism and Christianity. Mm. And that might sound like a loaded subject that is perhaps a bit too complicated for a board game to deal respectfully. And if you have that instinct, that instinct is correct. Uh, but but not in the worst way possible, I feel. Uh, and I do want to preface this uh, with a little bit of a, of a kind of a background to the designers and publishers of the game uh, who are uh, based in Poland. Mm-hmm. And the writers of the scenarios are Polish. Mm-hmm. And so I no, I'm not Polish. I am Lithuanian. Mm. And I wouldn't... What? Really? Shush. Sorry. Uh, and I wouldn't conflate those two. But I will say that... 
for a long while, we shared a common history. Mm. Uh, and that while would have been the medieval times where, you know, after the Renaissance, we were the same country for a while. But before that, even we shared the same royalty and we shared a border and we shared a lot of the history. And at times uh, we were, you know, uh, the subject of the Teutonic Knights and their mm. expansion into various countries within the East. Uh, and so the Teutonic Order did this thing where they said, we're going on the Crusades. You might have heard about them. Uh, and within those Crusades, they said, well, we're going to convert the heathens to Christianity. Uh, but what they actually did was you use that as a pretext to come mm. in and take resources, land, etc., etc. So uh, the conflict within Eastern Europe was very much, how do we stave off these Teutonic Knights? Because they're coming in and saying, we're pagan, we need to be Christian. And one of the ways we did end those wars was converting to Christianity so that the pretext was gone, right? Yeah. So uh, rightfully, the Teutonic Knights would have no reason to come in and fight with us, right? And and so both Lithuania and uh, Poland has fought together in wars against the Teutonic Knights. And I feel like this setting was picked deliberately to reflect our history because there is that very much sort of moment of like uh, paganism being the old ways and Christianity coming in and being the new ways, and those two things being at odds within every scenario. Now, I'm not going to say that the game paints one or the other as the right way or mm. the wrong way, mm. uh, because within uh, those parameters, uh, there are characters who are wholly one thing or wholly another thing, and they still can behave in good or bad ways. Mm. Uh, but there is that sort of cultural juxtaposition of old versus new and i think there is still very much a cultural sentiment within eastern europe especially countries that have been pagan up until a very late time uh in you know the 1400s mm. where they felt like uh you know oh well christianity is just this new way that's coming in to invade us and that sense has pervaded through to current times and when i was in school and was being taught lithuanian history we would very much be taught it from the perspective of like, oh, hey, you know, Christianity was this thing that came in and conquered us. And it's never painted necessarily in the best light, even though Lithuania is a Catholic country, mm. but it's Catholic in a different way than, say, the Vatican or whatever, right? <laughs> uh, you know, where there there is a blend of pagan traditions and Christian traditions, but they're both presented as our cultural background and as a mishmash and and kind of like stands as one. Um. So so that's that's a heavy setting. Yes. Uh. Thank you for the history lesson. Uh, You're welcome. There. That was very interesting. Um. I would listen to an Efkatel's history podcast. Thank you very much. I'm. Mm. I don't know a lot about history. No. I don't think I would be a good uh, history podcastarian. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> also, I would listen to a podcast where you talked about linguistics. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you very much. Uh, also, no, but that's that is a good point. Like, I don't obviously have that shared history or background with you, but it did also feel a little bit jarring for me that that weird kind of how are they presenting this? How are they covering this? They didn't go deeply into it. No, and some of it is very blunt. Some of it is very blunt and some of it is very skimmed over. Yeah. In in quite a strange way. Yeah. Um, and both both sides do bad things. Both mm, sides definitely mm. do very bad things. And this is another reason you shouldn't play this with your kids, really. Mm. Um, but 
within that, so so I, I think, you know, I think it's perfectly valid for, for people of Eastern European background to explore these subjects, yeah. uh, even in a board game, let's say. But but I didn't feel like there was, I felt like there was a historical thread line that was inbaked in into the story of the game, but never really explored in a way that gave it meaning mm. or, or like, um, you know, substance. It just felt like, look at these two things aren't they good and or bad and yeah i have to say like it was only when we spoke about it while we were playing that you were like oh this is this right mm. it wasn't it didn't become evident as you as we played the game it was only when we were talking about it mm. so yeah that that for me is a little bit odd I, here's another thing um so Whilst that is a difficult and complicated mm. thing, there is one thing within the game that isn't difficult or complicated, it's just wrong. Every single character in the game is white. Uh, there isn't a playable character of colour apart from one character that is wearing a mask. So you could say that person could be of any colour, mm. but, but I will add, if that is your one person in your game as a playable character of colour... You shouldn't call that character the corruptor, right? That <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> that feels wrong. the The other thing is that there are uh, different uh, culture groups represented within the game, uh, specifically Romani travelers. Yes, um, and it's nice that they used the correct term, uh, being Romani travelers. But yeah. the problem with that is that they were still presented as this sort of like mystical subgroup within the land and that felt odd especially because so um i'm gonna once again delve into a little bit of lithuanian culture and uh, i feel like this is getting into spoilers a little bit more because we're talking about what what is in the game the features of the game well yeah okay I'm, 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 i am going across. to go very vague here so i'm, yeah. I'm going to talk more about like cultural background and mm -hmm. what i experienced growing mm -hmm. up uh, there was a lot of uh, cultural prejudice against Romani travelers and mm -hmm. racial prejudice. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was a kid, my parents would say things about Romani travelers that I would dare not repeat right now on this podcast. And they were, you know better. Yeah, and they were very much the the cliched mystical things, sure, sure. and they were very much negative things. Yes. Right. So I I felt like. Uh, that could have been handled with a lot more care because those things are nonsense. Um, and whilst they are not represented within the game, those those really negative tropes, mm. there is that sort of still kind of like, ooh, the mystical subculture, you know, like it's exoticizing something that shouldn't be exoticized. Like you said, you know, they know the right words to use, but they don't necessarily say the right things about them. They mm. present them in a positive light to try and help any attitudes it's not that it's positive or negative it's just that it sort of relies on on a kind of i think outdated view of what that culture is yeah but for some people that might be the negative oh yeah one. absolutely like, like you was mentioned you were mentioning but overall what i did like about the kind of story was that it evolved as it went along you found out more about who your character was particularly in that first scenario you find found about who you were and and spoke to different people within the town uh, and they all wanted something from you 
Mm. And you, you had to give them something for them to help you complete your destiny. But what the sense I didn't get from any of the townspeople were how much they cared about anything. They didn't care really who was they were speaking to. They just wanted you to give them some gold or whatever. Yeah. Right. They didn't care what your destiny was unless they were actually part of your destiny. Like yeah, they were somehow you were tied to it. Them yeah. Or, you know, they were going to help you or something. If they mm. were just a normal NPC. They didn't care. I, I think it adds to the whole vibe and, and um, of the setting, you know, like the world is dark and the dark uh, days are coming. Oh, no, not and, that again. Yeah. Uh, but so a mixed bag, I would say, destinies. Uh, some of the other upshots are price, mm. which is £40. Uh, I, at least I bought it for £40 off of a shop. And that feels super cheap for yeah. how much you get inside. Uh, there's also miniatures in this game because it's a Kickstarter game. Uh, the miniatures are tiny mm. so tiny that part of the game becomes hunting the right miniature <laughs> when the app tells you put down this miniature also very oddly it sometimes displays locations on the app and sometimes displays like characters within locations yeah. so when it's like a location you say just put a to- just put a generic purple token and it's the same purple token for everything but like if there's a character you put the mini down but it seems to bear no relevance whatsoever whether it's a mini or uh a token on Mm. on how important it is to the plot uh how integral this place is you just sometimes it's a mini sometimes it's a token just whether they've made a mini for it or not yeah roughly that type of character or not um, I liked how the app did let you kind of zoom in on the mini and spin it round so you could see, because they are mm-hmm. tiny. They're maybe like, what, like two centimetres or not even that maybe, you know, yeah. they're tiny. So it does let you spin it round, see which mini it is that you need to put down. The so it does app help is, you. The app is fantastically developed. The app mm. is superb. Mm. It's really comfortable to use. Uh, I think it's one of the best board game apps that I've, you know, come across. It felt just natural using it. Yeah. I, and I think that's very important. It's integral to an experience like this. Yeah. Um, the final thing I want to say about Destinies is that the game does sometimes feel like just dead in its tracks. And that's because of the system that you use uh, to resolve, like, tests or whatever. So each character has three skills. Mm. Uh, the strength, agility, and intellect, I believe, or something something along those lines. Sure, yeah. And you will have a number of pips in those skills. So there's, like, uh, three or four pips, depending on your character, in each of those. Mm-hmm. A- and those pips sit in a range between 1 and 12. 12. So you could, for example, have a pip on 4, 6 seven and 11 or something like that and then you will roll a number of dice uh you roll two dice by default and you can add an optional between zero and three dice Mm -hmm. Uh, and those you have to acquire and once you spend them they go away one will be refreshed on the next round exactly right and so sometimes you have items uh you know those same cards that you Mm -hmm. could use for Mm -hmm. resolving quests you could just discard them for an effect or sometimes you'll even have a permanent effect and and you basically just need to roll some dice and however many pips are below the result that you roll, that's how many successes you get. And uh, you never know how many successes you need, but it's somewhere between one and six. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you fail, you'll frequently get experience, which will let you adjust and lower those pips on your tracks meaning you fail but you are You're better more likely to get something better in the future exactly right? mm. um the problem with that system is that sometimes you just run out of the bonus dice and you know that you're doing a hard task 
and you are you have to you know have a lot of dice to succeed on it yeah. right and that means that you have to stop whatever you're doing and either sit and wait for turns uh, because each turn you get a refresh of one <laughs> die um, and anything else you might go, go try and do will require you doing tests and one against once again spending those dice. So so sometimes you just go, okay, I'll wait. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, there were some turns that for me, uh, what's the word, flubbed? Is yes. That, is that the right phrase? Yeah. Because nothing happened. So I rolled a dice. Um, there was a couple of times when it would ask you to do two different things but you didn't know it was going to ask you to do to do two different things so you know you put like nearly all of your eggs in the same basket you fail oh but now you have to do this other thing and now you've got no dice left to do it or even if you succeeded right well yeah this is true this is true so there were a couple of turns for me that i literally did nothing maybe i moved i tried to roll some dice it didn't work out and i did nothing and i just watched you get further ahead because Mm -hmm. you know you succeeded right and i think there is that imbalance and i said to you i I kind of wished it was cooperative in a way but i understand why it's not because there are lots of these kinds of games that are cooperative games right so this is different but i wanted i was invested also in what you were doing i wanted to be invested in what you were doing because i wanted to help you and go oh maybe if you went here like even if i don't know your destiny right Mm. i don't care if i know it or not i still want to help you with it so because like I said, you know, you know a few little tidbits of information. I want to help you succeed. I want to help you go to that place that will spur you on or get you the resource that you need or get you the item that you need, right? Or if I've got... So one one of the things you can do is you can buy and sell from different merchants if you discover them on the map. And sometimes you get things that you don't need. And if you sell them to the merchant, the other players can then later on go and buy them. And so there were things that I had that I thought, oh, you could really do with this. Oh, I could. Oh, no, wait, no. What am I doing? Like, I don't want you to be succeeding. I don't want to further your cause. There's a real dissonance between the competitive nature of the game and how we've been conditioned that these games are inherently uh, right. cooperative, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't mean in like an alpha gamery way. I didn't want mm-hmm. to tell you how to play your turns, but mm-hmm. I wanted to have some investment in helping you fulfill your goals. Yeah. And I didn't want to have that investment because it, was, it wasn't cooperative. Mm-hmm. So I understand why they've done it, but... I think, yeah, maybe it's just conditioning. And if I if we played this game a lot, then I would get used to that. Um, and as I said, the ending, I didn't care that it was competitive in the end because even though I lost, mm. it, it was funny what happened. Um, but I, the other thing I w- will say is that I don't know what the rule book was like because you read that one, but... It was all right. It was all right? Yeah. But it felt fairly approachable in its nature because a lot of the maths is handled by the app the app is very good like you said uh you know you hit the button it does the thing that's it right it's very easy to use you scan a qr code you don't have to remember anything or do anything um so that was quite good Uh, the fact that you can buy and sell to merchants for the same price so like if something costs one gold it costs one gold to buy it and you get one gold if you sell it there's no like maths to do with you get 50 percent of the price or whatever Um, so I like that a lot about it. And the app keeps track of your successes as well. So when you speak to someone, it knows how far into your quest you are. Mm-hmm. So I felt, and the, the way that uh, you move around on the map is is pretty approachable too. All the tiles, it's like a fog of war kind of thing. You can't see what's on the other side of the tiles, but the back gives 
um, some information about what it's going to be. So when you click on it in the app, uh, the face down tile, it will tell you this is a forest or mm. the dark forest beckons you or, you know, whatever like that. Yeah, so yeah. you know that something is there. Oh, my God. The number of times... The, the the dialogue of the app, you know, like someone speaking to me or just the narrative being told, some say <laughs> Oh yeah, no, that's true. The phrase <laughs> some say yeah, has been repeated <laughs> far too many times. And there are other phrases as well where you're like, oh, that one again, right? Uh-huh. It's just like they latched on to a particular way of speaking and used that over and over and over again. So it was a bit jarring. So positives, really well implemented game system. You know, uh, really well implemented app. Mm. Everything's very approachable. Cheap price. Mm, very cheap. Great. Means, yeah. The scenario and story design, questionable. Between questionable and bunk, I would say. <laughs> uh, For me, it wasn't the worst. You were okay. We've seen worse, I guess, in board games. It wasn't but... boring. Like, I didn't get bored reading the story. I, I was I interested. got bored doing my quests. I yeah, got okay, bored fair. doing my destinies. Fair. Like, I didn't get bored in the first scenario. But mm. then after... and Which is, I guess, why this game gets so much applause. Because I think it rides a lot on the strengths of that first scenario. It just, mm. it just works, you know? And I don't know. I just wish I saw more diversity in the cast. And I wish I saw a more interesting kind of like scenario design as we went forward because it became less interesting and more rote. Um, yeah, I wish they'd played on that unreliable narrator thing a bit more because mm. that was really interesting and it was very different from what we've seen before. That's very true. Uh, I know that there's an expansion already that Kickstarter back has got and maybe it will be coming to retail that changes the setting to something piratey, I think. It <laughs> excites me very little. Um, <laughs> but, you know, who knows? I, I, I feel like Destinies has promise mm. and, and, and could be developed into something... Uh, a little bit more coherent with with like a stronger writing team. Hey, let's talk about the big game. What game is that, Efka? It is Descent, oh. Legends of the Dark. If you are familiar with the term Descent, yes, this is a continuation of the popular Fantasy Flight dungeon crawler, although Fantasy Flight is doing everything to distance itself from the first and really? second editions. Why? Because this is technically a different type of game i think in a lot of people's minds descent is the de facto dungeon crawler just like for some gloomhaven is the de facto dungeon crawler Mm. because i think it largely depends first of all whether you're into dungeon crawlers uh in in terms of board games and second what time you started playing board games and i guess what strikes your fancy as well there's a lot of different factors but i think those two are definitely in people's minds as as the dungeon crawlers uh, and so Descent is a big legacy. Hmm. Uh, but the way Descent was always framed was like an actual role-playing game uh, in terms of there being a dungeon master that controlled all the enemies mm. and all, you know, the sort of scenario um, in terms of how the enemies respond to what the heroes are doing. So you mm. would always have one player play as the dungeon master uh, against a group of another player or maybe another playing two characters or another two players mm. and so on. Um, they're distancing themselves from that because this isn't that. Uh, this is more in line with what we've seen in Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth, another title by Fantasy Flight Games, yes. where uh, everyone is playing 
uh, a hero or a character going to dungeons and completing missions, but also uh, there is no dungeon master. The app tells you what the story is, and uh, you are just heroes responding to that story and making decisions within it. I think the important thing I touched on here is that this is uh, less a continuation of Descent Journeys in the Dark uh, and more a continuation of uh, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth. And what's also important to note here is that uh, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth is a continuation of ideas we've seen in Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, another game by Fantasy Flight Games. Mm -hmm. And I would strongly argue that Destiny's, whilst being from a different publisher, is also a continuation of ideas we've seen in Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. Mm -hmm. Because uh, very much so, you are dropped in a location, uh, in Mansions that was a mansion, (laughs) uh, in... Uh, in Journeys Middle-Earth, it's somewhere in Middle-Earth. And in Destinies, it's somewhere in a town in medieval-esque, Poland-esque. Um, and you're exploring that from the perspective of a character. And just like in Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, your character might not be reliable. Although that was implemented in different ways. Mm. But an- another very important aspect, I'd say, of Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, not just because it was also an app-driven game, was that you had items that you could use, utilize in clever and different ways, Yeah. right? And so I think I think Destinies is a much better game than Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. I don't think Journeys in Love was a better game than Mansions mm. of Madness 2nd Edition. But I think Descent Legends in the Dark, or of the Dark, in the Dark? I think it's in the Dark. Mm. I think it's a significantly better game than all of those. What was the first one called? Descent? Descent Journeys in the Dark. Journeys in the Dark. Yeah. And this is Legends in the Dark or of the Dark. Yeah. Okay. It's confusing. That's... Yes. But basically what I'm saying is that the new Descent, and bear in mind, we've only played three games, is better than all of those games, first of all. And second... It's kind of amazing. <laughs> so the the thing for me was that it didn't look like it was going to be that great. No. It didn't look like it did anything more interesting or different than any of those games do. When, in fact, when I told you... You read the rule book and I asked you, uh, Elaine, does anything stand out in terms of rules? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, there is nothing in this that you haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. So there is an app uh, and it manages how ma- how much damage you do. So we've seen that before. There are dice that you roll that you hit or you don't. We've seen that before. There are enemies. Uh, there are maps, map tiles. There are structures. There are health conditions or, you know, poisoned or whatever mm. conditions. Nothing really stood out as being very exciting apart from the elevated Terrain. Terrain. <laughs> we'll get into that in a sec. Uh-huh. And then we started playing it. Um, and I've played all those games that you mentioned, Journeys in Middle-earth, Manchester of Madness, um, The First Descent uh, yeah. as well. But, and I remember The First Descent and thinking, well, this is all right. You know, it's not, it's nothing special, even at the time. And I didn't have very high hopes for this. And we started playing it and I went, this is really good. This is really good. And then I, I thought something's going to go wrong. We're going to get bored or, you know, something in the scenario is going to be just boring or whatever. So far, 
Nothing. So far, nothing has been disappointing. It's just got better because it's introduced new elements. And they're more fun. And they're more fun and they're they're fun and funny yes. as well. Like some of the things, yes. some of the dialogue. I mean, you know, it's not it's not Tolstoy, but some of the dialogue <laughs> is funny. No, okay. I want to preface with uh, genre a little bit. So this is yeah. a, a fantasy dungeon crawler set in fantasy flight games proprietary world Terranoff. it is it is as corny as you would expect yeah. oh, it to yeah. be right oh, yeah. but but they manage the good kind of corny which is you know not an easy feat i think you know good corny is not easy but they went and i think smartly with a bright positive vibe yes and also a, a very much um a, a ya uh, sort of feel to the characters yeah, and maybe. ya being young mm. adult Mm. Uh, that's not to say that uh, if you don't enjoy young adult fiction that you're not going to enjoy Descent, Legends in the Dark. It's just that it's it's got that feel to it, but that feel gives vibrancy to the characters that are so not present in all other narrative-based board games that I've mm. played. Mm. You know, you get a sense of it in Sleeping Gods, but but here this, there's very strong characterization uh, of every yeah, character. Yeah, we're seeing them develop more and more mm. as we go through. Um, so when you start, you only get four characters to choose from. Yes. Um, and it even says in the rule book, the other two you will discover during the campaigns, right? Uh, uh, but you get to kind of see them Im- immediately after you've done the starting scenarios. And it, it introduces them in a way that it gives you the quest and you kind of take them to do the quest. You have to take that character to do the quest and it develops, it gives them the, the stage mm-hmm. that whoever's playing that character, it gives them the stage. They are making the decisions. So there are some decisions that you have to make uh, and you generally get two options in the, in the story mm-hmm. um, and you take that character down a path. Well, okay. So you touched on something. Mm. I, I want to return to the, these decisions in a second, yeah. but you touched on something very important. Unlike other dungeon crawlers or most games of of the fantasy, you have adventurous kind of genre. You don't play one character. Right, you play yes, one character per scenario, and you take control of that character. But when you return from the scenario, there is a um, a, a kind of a shared pool of characters mm. uh, and. On any adventure you go to, unless the adventure requires there to be a specific character, but so far we've only encountered the situation where one has to be specific and mm-hmm. the other character mm-hmm. can be whatever. Um, you can take any of them, you know, mm-hmm. you can say, I want a combination of these two. I like that so much. And and this is the thing, when I asked you, you know, oh, w- what's special about this? And you said nothing. I don't blame you for saying that, mm. because what's special about Descent Legends in the Dark is is very sort of fine things you yeah. know they're, mm. they're, they don't immediately stand out oh like oh you know this this is actually pretty significant but they are and as you continue playing you'll learn why that's more interesting so first of all um i want to say that we played three scenarios yes. and after having played three scenarios i got to play with all six we, well we communally got to play yeah. with all six characters in the game and we got to try them out and try out different things. And that's nice because dungeon crawlers don't normally let you do that. Mm. Gloomhaven to an extent lets mm, you do yeah. that because you can you can have multiple characters going at the same time and you can choose which character goes on a quest. It's a bit fiddly and um, you have to dismantle one character's uh, action modifier deck because there's not enough cards. And 
put it in a different one. Here, it's very simple. Each character has their own like upgrades and stats and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you just take that pool and then you choose what you're going to take on an adventure and go. It's mm. easy. It's nice. And you get to explore something different each time. And then when you do come back from an adventure, you might get something for that character that you haven't been playing with, but played before. And then mm. you go, oh, wow, I want to try this now, you know? Yeah. And that's such a nice, nice sort of change of pace to Dungeon Crawlers, but it feels perfectly like it should have been there all along, right? <laughs> well, it feels like that now. Yeah. But it, it's like the thing that isn't obvious until it's obvious, right? But I agree with you. You know, there, when I said to you, no, there's nothing special. It's like the, the chip in the glass mm. where eventually the whole window cracks. But you don't know that the whole window is going to crack. But like in a positive way. Because I didn't realise. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, was a, that was a pained analogy. I didn't realise how bad that was going to be until it came out of my mouth. But do you understand what I mean, though? Like the, the tiny thing that leads to the big thing and you don't realise it's going to lead mm. to the big thing. Mm. Because I, I read it and I was like, oh, that's good. You can, you can play any character. Great. Okay. But I didn't realise how interesting that was going to make each scenario. Uh, that choice of... Do I play this new character that I, the last one that we played? Do I play this new character that I've never played and you've never played and see what they're like? Or do I take this other character that we've just got an upgrade for and see how that weapon works with the upgrade? Like how like, I want to make this decision, you know, mm. and, and that was that was really neat. Um, I liked a lot about this game and how it implemented things that we've seen before. But the way that it did it felt new or felt fresher. And I don't quite know why. But it might have just been the whole thing together that made it feel like that. Well, I think I think it's definitely uh, uh, some of its parts that, that makes the scent what yeah. it is. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about other things. So, some mechanical things. Mm. Uh, so first of all, you touched on the decisions you make as a character. Yeah. So those are, that's called like your fate or something like that. And much like in Destinies, you have like... <laughs> Two sort of like parallel branching paths, right? Yeah. But unlike Destinies here, it's not like detrimental that you follow one path through to its conclusion, no. right? It's more of a thing that says, hey, you don't know what the consequences of these choices are going to be as you go through the entire campaign. They will be there and it, there's no right or wrong decision you can go both paths you can go one path or you can go another path um it doesn't matter just choose the thing that feels right at the time when the question is posed to you mm. right and again they're not in that sort of black and white moral duality which feels nice they're just like different aspects of your character that you want to focus on and they ask you a question and you answer and you don't even know what the effect of it is going to be. And focus on in that moment as well. Yes. So it's it's very much specific to what's happening to your character now. And and I think this is, again, why Descent works so well uh, in terms of you being able to switch characters. Because you get a very clear sense of who your characters are. So uh, just to go over briefly, uh, mm. there is they seem like standard archetypes so you have mm. a dwarf called kelly you have a elf called galadin you mm -hmm. have uh, a sort of a dragon type person called varix mm -hmm. uh and uh, a sorcerer type person i can't remember their name right now uh, no, me, me a, a a cat burglar and when i say a cat burglar i literally mean cat 
Uh-huh. And I literally mean burglar uh-huh. uh, called Chance. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a human, and and there's a, there's Bryn. She seems like a warrior type person and a, sort of a noble type person mm-hmm. at the same time. So somewhere like in the realm of paladin, I think, but not paladin as as like religious, but more like a, a kind of a protector type person. Mm-hmm. I think I want to say. Sure. Yeah. So they seem very archetypal, and they are. But they do have backstories and personalities. And mm. personality, I think, is the key word here. Mm. But again, those personalities and stories are also archetypal. But because we have this amalgamation of free things, mm. they all feed into each other and add to each other. And they start painting a picture. You know, you you have a very generic setup of, of world and peril, and mm-hmm. there's a big bad villain thing, <laughs> and and there's these plucky characters, right? But you start to feel for them. You go, they are the plucky characters, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. And this one's grumpy, uh-huh. and <laughs> yep. this one's solemn, and this one's, and this a, one's bit, a bit overexcited. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this one's done bad things and now regrets uh-huh. them. Yeah, that kind right? of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a game that doesn't take itself too seriously. There is a kind of maybe Looney Tunes element to it of that, you know. And, and I think that's a good thing. I think that really makes it because when you have a game like this and it takes itself very seriously and all the characters are very serious and the world is very dark and serious and yeah. da, 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 you know they don't feel like real people and that's what you said about personalities right they each have their own different personalities and they feel like real characters and when you play them you kind of take on a bit of that character and Mm. it's nice and once again to contrast with destinies Mm. this time the roster is very diverse it seems it. Yeah, yes. we think so. It's it's hard to tell because you only pick up little bits through the the stories and the dialogue. Yeah, but yeah, we think so. But it, it that's again that's the strength of it because it's it doesn't make the diversity sure. the feature no, of the character. Sure. It just you know it's just who they are, and that's I think very important. But I just don't want to. Yeah, I again, just don't this over early impressions, yeah, uh-huh, you know. Uh-huh. But it seems it seems like you know the there is there is a diversity element to the characters that's done very well and it's it's a welcome difference in board games frankly (laughs) frankly (laughs) that old thing yeah yeah the old chestnut i want to talk a little bit more about how the app is implemented yes um, and how it's kind of picking up also following on on your point about their personalities and the world building Mm -hmm. and what the app does so it manages all the maths like you know a good Mm -hmm. app would do Mm -hmm. Uh, but it also gives you a more rounded view of the world I think because it presents the map so it shows you where you need to put things on the map so maybe you need to put a tree down or maybe you need to put a cauldron down that's not a spoiler because that's what you see when you open the box actually no it's not you have to build them yourself you have to make them physically right. out of the I cardboard think, i think you're bearing the lead here in that <laughs> in this game you have 3d terrain and you, you have a lot of it you do there's, have a lot of 3d terrain there's stairs there's trees there's cauldrons there's lecterns yes. there's bookshelves yes there's uh, you have to build them all yourself. yeah and and all the dungeon tiles have notches which means they elevate so when you put them down you might put them just on the ground or you might put them on onto these pillars and then you add stairs and they you have levels and it sounds like a gimmick and a it is 
Um, but B, it's really cool. But B, it's really cool. So I hate building 3D terrain. I think you hate building 3D terrain as well. Oh, I just couldn't well. do it. I right. was ruining all the, the pieces. Yeah, the, I think the notches are very tight. Maybe this is the way our particular set was cut, you know, in terms of Who cardboard. Knows? They were very tight. And sometimes... Easy to punch, but difficult to assemble. Yeah, sometimes they would just, um, we just tore it a little yeah. bit, you know, in places. But when you build it all together, it still looks good. And if you haven't got 3D terrain, and this is your gateway into the world of role-playing... Then you have a set when you you're do. done. Yeah, which is right? really nice. It, it's it's great for adventuring. It's it's a it's a great looking set. And you have map tiles also yeah, of yeah. different types of terrain. But but we can carry on talking about that in a sec mm-hmm. if you want. But uh, just going back to what my point really about mm-hmm. the app was that it lights up different bits of the map. So it tells you how to build it. Um, but then like the cauldron, it will be bubbling green in the app. Yeah. So it gives you a little bit more kind of, I don't know, 3D-ness mm-hmm, or, or mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. a little bit more realism. I, I guess it's a bit like um, augmented reality. It feels yeah. a little bit like that in a way, uh, which again is, is gimmicky, I know. But it, it, it tied into the whole thing, I think it worked really nicely. Um, and it tells you where to put the different baddies. The only thing I would say about that, though, is that once it's told you where to put the baddie, it, that goes away. <laughs> so if you've missed where to put it, you don't know where to put it, but you uh, can go back. Yeah, the great thing about the app is that you can rewind everything, right? It's, I think that's a brilliant change. Yeah, you uh, can go back as far as you want. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what decisions you made or dice rolled or whatever. You can go back. And yeah, that's, I think that's great. Fabulous. Because... You just, if you just made a mistake and you realize something like, oh no, it's too late. No, you can just go back. It's yeah. fine. You can fix everything and you continue with the state of the game as you wanted it to be. Yeah. Fantastic decision. 10 out of 10. Uh, you know, more of that. I, having said that, I don't think the app is as fluid as Destiny's. The Destiny's app is very fluid. Here, it does feel a little bit clunky. It does. And it does at times feel like I'm stopping playing on the table and going to play on the app a little bit, right? Maybe a little. But I don't think it's it's so incongruous as to kind of make it a real downside to the game. Because you still have... And again, this is the smart decision to include elevated terrain mm. because it makes you feel like when you do go back to the table it makes you feel like oh, okay no i belong here yeah right mm. because everything is happening here this is the this this feels grand and it feels a bit like a spectacle i mean not not like a fantastic spectacle <laughs> but it feels neater than your average dungeon crawler right in in a aesthetic kind of design way yeah and i i think the 3d terrain was a very smart decision um expensive as we'll find out later but Mm, smart mm. and don't worry if you think how am i going to fit this back in the box once i've built it or do i just have to put it on my shelf and let it gather dust no you don't uh the box is constructed in a way that it has two parts to it so you have the bottom part which all basically everything goes into. So all the 3D terrain can go into. But there's like this shelf around the side of the box. So then there's the second part of the box that you put on top and it stacks. Rather than squashing everything, it stacks on top. And then you can put in the tiles and whatever else goes in there. We've come a very long way since the Fantasy Flight Cardboard Canyon. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have. It's a functional chasm. Talking of functional, yeah. one last bit about the aesthetics. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I, that was a lie. It's not functional at all. I want to talk a little bit about minis. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, they're functional to show you where you are. On yeah. The map. 
Wow, are they good. Mm, so right? nice. Like, I normally don't get excited about miniatures and board games. I remember really liking the miniatures in Rising Sun because of just how elaborate they were. Mm. Maybe this isn't quite that because all the miniatures here, most of the miniatures here are just of the same sort of scale, yeah. right? They're, well, not scale, but height even specifically because they're like, you know, player characters, monsters, etc. You know, the, the, the player characters are slightly more pronounced, yeah. I would say. But they look cool. They are cool miniatures. I don't know what more to say here. The miniatures are cool. They, they are. intricate, detailed. Yeah. And when I look at my character, I go, "That's cool. I like that." And I want to paint that. Yeah, I want to yeah. paint that. I want, I, or I want someone who can paint to paint that. Yeah. The only, the only tiny little thing I would say about them is that if you are very clumsy, like me then some of them are a bit fragile oh yeah because of because they are so detailed mm. uh, because like they have a, a very thin sword yeah. that sticks out quite far from the rest of the miniature for example mm-hmm. and that is a little bit wobbly so if you are clumsy when you're putting them back in the box or getting them out of the box uh then it, i think they could break but I, I haven't broken any of them yet so but actually what i want to say is that the monster minis and the character minis are a different color plastic which is nice i don't know why but that was very pleasing when i was putting it all back Mm -hmm. to go oh i know where these go because all the characters go Mm -hmm. together Mm-hmm. And I like that a lot more than I feel like I should have. Really. Yeah, it's, I'm like, this is a really minor detail, but Elaine's, but Elaine's talking about it, so <laughs> <laughs> it was important to me. Okay, I will say that uh, if you are used to Fantasy Flight Games miniatures, uh, you will be in for a surprise. And I will also say these are the best miniatures in a board game that I've seen. I agree; they they're lovely. I guess it's time to get into the meat of it and by meat i mean mechanisms and this is where okay so <laughs> this is maybe i don't want to say where the praise stops because it doesn't because i think i think mechanically this game is very sound hmm. um it's just less slightly less exciting than i wanted to be but having said that it doesn't mean there aren't exciting bits Specifically, I want to talk about the first scenario and how the first scenario mechanically felt a little bit dull. Like, from from a kind of a, you know, like, is this scenario cool? It was, right? Mm. But in terms of what we did as part of a, like, dungeon crawler mechanisms, I wasn't that excited. Because the way it works is um, you have a character card, and specifically card, even though it looks like, you know, like a bigger sheet, like, like a character sheet, right? Uh, it's a card and that's important for game mechanisms yes and you also have a weapon card and your weapon card is double double sided and what i mean by that (laughs) is that there are two cards in the sleeve and both of those cards are double sided Correct. yeah but within the scope of the game that double double sided card functions as one card yes uh and on each side of the card there is a different weapon and that weapon can be upgraded that's why you have the other side of one side of the card that is two cards. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure you said cards enough in that. I, I'm just sentence. trying to make it less confusing for everyone <laughs> listening. Um, but the point being is that your character sheet is a double-sided card. Your weapon is a double-sided card. And later you will get skills, which are also double-sided cards. Mm-hmm. And each card in the game that you have has a fati- fatigue limit. Yes. So fatigue is like a resource. When you put the limit of fatigue 
on all your cards. When you get fatigue, you start taking damage. So you don't yeah. want to do that. But fatigue also powers your abilities. So if a card has an ability and says, you can do this, it will cost you fatigue, right? So there's a nice kind of balance of like, I can be a little bit better at whatever it is that I'm doing now and, and spend some fatigue. But then later, you can take an action to flip that card over. Which clears off the fatigue. But you have to bear in mind, too, that there are some enemies that could potentially fatigue you. You have that in mind, too. Yeah, but here's here's the clever thing. So I mentioned that flipping a card is an action. Um, I feel like we've been talking about the clever thing already. Well, no, no, no. Here's the what, clever thing. more clever thing? Yeah. Uh, there are three actions you can do on any given turn. And it sounds so minor, but it feels so nice. To have that extra one. That, yeah. yeah, that extra one action. So one of your actions always has to be to move, mm. right? And there's a nice moment in the game where you're like, if you move and you end up next to an enemy, that's it. You lost all your movement points. Mm. But if you haven't, and you haven't spent all your movement points, you can do something else, yeah. and then something else, and then spend two more of your movement points if, you know, you've had two left over. So there's that sort of nice balance of generosity but also like you have to be careful about what the hell it is that you're doing (laughs) and the actions in the game are you know pretty standard you can attack you can interact with an object on the map that you're next to uh you can flip a card uh you can move uh, Mm. and you might have like a special ability or something Mm. like that that's pretty much it but within that there's there's a lot of leeway in terms of what happens and what you can do um and i think my favorite part is that you can attack twice if you want to Mm. and that's nice you're like, okay, I can hit once, I can hit again. And attacking is pretty quick and simple. But if I am attacking again, maybe maybe I shouldn't be attacking again. Maybe I should be flipping over a card. Mm-hmm. And why is that important? Well, you clear the fatigue, you're less likely to get damaged. Or maybe the weapon that I'm attacking with is not the right weapon to attack the mm-hmm. enemy with. So generally you have like a ranged weapon and a melee weapon? Not, no, not necessarily. Unless like, you're I, Bryn, I, right, where yeah. you just have two melee weapons. Yeah. Um, but but they each generally deal a different type of damage mm. and a different amount of damage. So mm. like a melee weapon could hit for more. So each of your successes would be free damage, whereas a ranged weapon could hit for less. Each of your successes could be two damage. But if you're shooting from a distance and the weapon is the right weapon to damage an enemy with, mm. uh, then, you know, like it has slashing damage and the enemy is weak to slashing damage, then then that's better, you know? And maybe you should, instead of attacking twice, to be more effective... Flip your weapon. Flip yeah. your weapon, back up a bit, shoot from a distance, you know? Can I tell a small anecdote? I hope you don't mind me saying this. I'm sure you won't. But when I said to you about some of the monsters, or all of the monsters are vulnerable to something, but you don't necessarily know what it is until you attack with that type of damage and then the app will go, ah, that's one of the vulnerabilities, right? And you went, oh no. So Mm. it's hidden, oh no, like that, right? Mm. And then when it happened (laughs) in the game, you went, oh yes, this is amazing. Like (laughs) like my weapon was the thing that I needed. Like this, right? It It was such a nice moment of... The change in your attitude, like I saw it happen yeah. because of how the game dealt with it and presented it. And it was just such a nice moment. Mm. Having said that, there are there are some things that I, I'm not necessarily a fan of. So one of the things is uh, the dice rolling mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. bad. You just have one die that you roll. You roll it for attack and there's a different die or maybe even the same die that you roll for defense, mm-hmm. right? That die will have like in descent either 
um, success or surge, and there's also advantage, which mm-hmm. is basically a success if you spend a fatigue. Or maybe if you have an ability, it can convert an advantage into something better than a success. Potentially. We've not seen that yet. I have seen oh, it, yeah. Have? One of my characters could convert oh, okay. an advantage into two successes. Right. Oh, yeah. So okay. I wanted some, I yeah, suddenly yeah, yeah. wanted advantages, but I had a cost to pay in fatigue. But my character was good at flipping cards over, yes. so fatigue wasn't as bad, you know? Yes. So, like, there's... That's how you feel like a differentiation in characters, right? So so the dice system is nice. It's just that when you start the very first scenario, you don't have a lot of options. No. So you roll a die and you go, okay, well, the die is telling me what I'll do now. Because I can spend the surge on this one thing that I have here. And I can spend the successes on doing the damage and the advantage on doing the success. And that's it, you know? Yeah. So it felt thin. But after the first scenario, you get some... Uh, experience and experience is kind of weird because it's like uh, an upper limit of how many skill cards you can take with you and you can equip different ones mm. so each time you you play the same character you can you can have a different loadout and those skill cards are just abilities and again they're flippy mm. so you have more of a threshold against fatigue and you have different abilities and mm-hmm. then you can flip them and you can do the thing and suddenly it becomes very complicated. So it's nice. And actually, one more thing about fatigue yeah. that I do want to mention before I forget. The really nice thing about it is that the cards are flippy and you don't remember what's on the other side because you have multiple cards. So you're like, what's on the other side? I don't remember. So it's like a little surprise. <laughs> like you, you flip it. You can yeah, look. Yeah, you can look. You can look, <laughs> right? But no, I know. But I think it's a really nice touch because I think in a lot of games, something like that could end up being just annoying because like i don't remember what's on the other side it's annoying here it's like oh okay cool this is a little nice surprise i'll find out you know you can just look but for me it was more fun to just go i don't remember yeah but i feel like that maybe is partly our attitude towards the game yeah than the game itself than oh, that yeah, mechanism yeah, yeah. within the game itself uh it's just how we felt about the game and we didn't mind doing it yeah it what didn't feel but you, you you can look you can look you can definitely you can look. look but the dice still felt like they were dictating what happened but in the first scenario. But as we went along, it became bigger and, and more expansive uh, mechanically and interesting and intricate. And that's mm. nice. But on top of that, I do want to say that movement felt a bit bunk in this game. If you recall, Elaine, when we reviewed Journeys in Middle-earth, yeah. the Lord of the Rings game, we complained that the enemy variety was nonsense. Mm. It was just like a different thing reskinned to be like yeah, weak yeah. to a different type of damage and yeah. that was it here it was enemies boring. here enemies do all kinds of things and you have to learn about what they're doing and they'll give you narrative prompts and it'll mean like oh this something is happening what does that mean well interact with that enemy maybe attack it you'll find out maybe it's a good thing maybe it'll be weak to something maybe it's a bad thing you have to learn and enemies felt very very different but positionality I it sometimes matters. I don't want to say like it doesn't matter in this game. Yeah, you have to learn, but you don't have to remember. I just want to say that because yeah. the app will tell you every time this is what this enemy does, right? Mm-hmm. Just to, just to make that clear. Um, yeah, I I you said it doesn't matter about movement, right? But yeah. I, I think it it did. There was were a couple of scenarios or a couple yeah. of parts of the map that really did matter where we were positioned because things happened. Right, okay, things happened, but they didn't happen in a way where like, oh, because I moved this one square here or this other square there, that changes everything. It was more like, well, we were 15 squares sure, away yeah, rather okay. than seven. All right. You know, this isn't, I, I, and I think I want to, I'm bringing this up because I want to 
give people a sense that this isn't Gloomhaven, mm. but it feels as expansive as Gloomhaven. Mm. I have no idea how many scenarios there are. I don't I don't think there are as many as in Gloomhaven. I don't think there is a game. 503. Yeah, that, and especially with the number of craft that went into each mm. scenario. You know, uh, this, this isn't that positionality puzzle like Gloomhaven. This is more like, no, sure. this is a different game, generally. This is like... I want to roll some dice and upgrade my character and see what happens kind of game. Mm. And I think if you if that's what you want out of a dungeon crawl, if you want like a sort of a light, breezy, fun time, but with that added crunch of different abilities and, and different things, mm. I think Descent is it. But I felt like that was adding to the game's generosity. Yeah. That it wasn't done accidentally, right? It, mm. it knew what it was doing when it decided to do that, right? And and I think the game is very generous overall. And and I think you're right, the first scenario maybe was a little bit dull, but if you've never played a dungeon mm. crawler, you've never played Mansions of Madness, mm. you've never played Journeys in Middle-earth, whatever, you haven't played this, you've never played Gloomhaven, because there mm. must be some people in the world that have not played Gloomhaven, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, know, yeah. I'm just, just guessing. Yeah. Then that introduction, I think, would be incredibly helpful because the rule book is very well written, but it misses out whole chunks because it says this will happen in the app. And mm. you don't necessarily really know what is going to happen. Mm. So to have all of this kind of explained to you through the first scenario, this is the monster that you're going to be hitting. This is the dice that you use. And the dice is even the same color in the picture on your character sheet mm. so if you're rolling a d8 they're always orange and the little picture is orange mm. so you know which dice it is that, that you're rolling and and that kind of generosity i think leads to more approachability for it oh it's a very approachable game and it, it definitely feels it and you know that like you mentioned to me before you know just the fact that you can move diagonally and attack diagonally yeah. you know it just feels like a generous system it feels like it wants to say to you do whatever the hell you like and have fun with it and they really leaned in on the fun mm. and there was a lot of um so i'm, I'm gonna get into the, some of the nitty-gritty that sure. happens after the first scenario there's a lot of stuff that makes it feel not just like oh it's generous but like it's expansive right mm. it has that feel of like when i'm you know frost haven is going to come out at some point i was <laughs> hoping 2022 right and some of the things that uh when we were designing the scenario for frost haven that we found out about it yeah we were like whoa this feels cool right yeah. like <laughs> oh this is not just Gloomhaven. there's other things happening in here all these things i'm seeing in descent legends in the dark because yeah. it's you know you you've you got crafting so you're collecting not just gold you're collecting various resources as you go through the map yeah. and then when you go out of the adventure um you go to town and uh you know there's like a base that you've got there and and you can go to the smith or you can go to the shops and each time you return from the scenario the shop uh like has different inventory and yeah I, it's, it's nice yeah if this was Baldur's gate the board game i would be happy yeah right because right? it feels like a video game made into a board game it does it in has, a good way yeah it does have that very Baldur's gate vibe where some of the things in Baldur's gate has haven't really aged very well but like <laughs> there is that sort of zany quality to it and a sense of like you going on an adventure right yeah and, and you're going on an adventure you go to a smith you go to a shop you speak to npc like yeah. it's that kind you of craft thing. items and and the really neat part is that um 
whilst your weapon and you can have mm. multiple different weapons you can upgrade them etc etc but one of the things you can do is you can craft items for your weapon that don't have physical representation mm. they only exist in the app because their only advantage is random and by that i mean like it has a new ability now but you have no control over when it'll happen no, it'll, it'll give happen you, 25% of the time or 10% or 10% of the time no it'll tell you the odds but right, yeah. but you don't like you'll hit with it and then I was like, oh, this feels weird. There's no physical representation. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> and then I was playing the game and it happened. And I was so over the moon. I was like, this is exactly what I needed. This is great. I wanted this. I forgot about it because it wasn't in front of me. And then suddenly it's there. And I'm like, of course, I did this. This is brilliant. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. That was genuinely really good. And there, there are a lot of moments like that. One final thing i yes. want to touch on is the expansiveness of the scenario oh my that was it just went on and on didn't but, it? but in a good way where it's like <laughs> is this the end and then it goes like like no no there's something else that's happening here and it's like you know like a little i don't want to say plot <laughs> elaine's laughing because because if to call them plot twists would be corny right but things happen and you're building this like when we built out the the thing right you know we were halfway through the scenario and there was this grandiose <laughs> structure on our table and we were like wow this feels big and then suddenly it got bigger uh -huh, right uh -huh. like uh, it, it it was something really and there's you know the the 3d elements really add to it it's just great it's so just, what I'm, i was laughing at really is yeah. like talking about putting down the map tiles it says you know you need some space for the map tiles okay yeah i understand that we've seen that before so we made a bit of space we had all our characters in front of us we had the cards and the tokens yeah. to the side and then more map came out. And okay, the cards get moved a little bit further to the side. Oh, and then more map is coming out. So our character sheets got closer towards us. Uh -huh. And like eventually it was just taking over the whole table. It was. With like everything else squashed into the corner of the table. It's, it's grandiose, but you do need some space you do. where you're playing this game. Uh, let's talk about some negatives. First of all, this is $175 oh box. Yeah. I don't know how to reconcile that apart from, I guess... Just in a very cheeky way, I'm going to have to say, I guess get used to it. because Perhaps you can get it second hand. Because <laughs> board, games, board games are going to start costing that much uh, very soon because of shipping issues. But this feels extravagant and luxurious. I admire, yeah. But you do get those pieces and those map tiles right like you get so, a you get a set of miniatures for any D, &D right. game you'll play and a in the lot future. of miniatures and yeah. not just miniatures some of them are i mean they are miniatures still but yeah. some of them are quite hefty sized well w one of them is quite heftily sized uh two of them are slightly less heftily sized but still hefty yeah but all of them in terms of scale feel quite impressive like and big. i can imagine people writing their own scenarios for this like not for yeah. not for descent but for dungeons and dragons or yeah whatever. right like you using them for their own scenarios game, yeah yeah you could... some other role-playing game and using all these minis and these map tiles and these huge like dragon thing that you get mm -hmm. again not spoiler because you see it in yeah the, you have to build it <laughs> you have it. to build it yourself yeah cardboard um, dragon <laughs> yeah uh I can, I can imagine that. So so maybe that, you know, extra money that you're paying for this is money that you're not paying to buy something else. So I'm not going to impose a, a, a judgment on the price until I have a better sense of how much... I, I'm, I'm getting a feel for a pretty expansive story, you know? 
like the side mm. quests apparently mm. you know like it feels like this isn't just going to be eight scenarios it feels like it's going to be more than that and i'm hoping it is because it feels really big i don't know how big i'm i'm hoping for like a 20 scenario game i have no sure, idea yeah. and we, we, you'll have a lot more concrete thoughts in our, in mm. our video review we are blasting through this as, i mean as fast reasonably fast as we can <laughs> so we're hoping to deliver something very very soon this is going to be our next video that you watch and, and we'll yeah. make sure to to get a better sense of the scope and and whether this is a worthy purchase mm. but so far we're incredibly impressed Elaine, yeah, you want we to say wanted something. to give our initial thoughts on it no i just wanted to finish your point about the price really mm. i would like to think that it, the, it is the price that it is because everyone that has worked on it has been well paid and that's and like because clearly a lot of work has gone into this yeah right from from the app from the design of the scenarios to the mm. the construction of the minis da 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 right i'm just hoping that it's expensive because it means that everyone was well paid. <laughs> well, there's the other thing uh, with um, Fantasy Flight games, knowing their history. I know that Fantasy Flight games now is not the Fantasy Flight games that we remember because virtually everyone who worked there is yeah. gone and there's different people working there. Um, but I feel like it's doing the same thing as it did with Twilight Imperium. When Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition came out, they, they felt like, you know, this is our signature thing. We want to make it a big thing. We yeah. want to make it, you know, we, we are proud of this and we stand behind it. This this definitely has that sense, but even more magnified. I think they are making something that uh, people are going to talk about for a long time. Mm. I feel like Descent Legends in the Dark is going to be a game that we talk about in the same way we talk about Gloomhaven, in the same way we talk about Pandemic so. Legacy, in the same way we talk about terraforming mars you know well okay i know not the same thing but but like you know they these are games that stand the test of time yeah uh, and i i think they they're on a pedestal for a reason and i think this is one of those games let's see let's see let's hope so this is my prediction this is not my verdict <laughs> it's an important differentiation yeah this isn't really a negative as such but if you wanted a more serious game this is very cheesy that, mm -hmm. i can see some people being turned off by the the kind of setting or the theme of this yeah i i agree but i i mean for me it's exactly what i expected i think one other negative mm. and i feel for a board game that costs 175 dollars this is a pretty big negative mm. is to include the learn to play booklet in the box but no, I include the rules reference booklet in the box mm. and say there's a rules reference that's in the app. And let me tell you, when I am playing the game mm. on the app uh, and the app is telling me things about a rule that I don't understand, what I really don't want to do is turn that off and go and look it up on on the app <laughs> in a digital device. Just, just, I just want to have a booklet. And so far, the booklet isn't even on Fantasy Flight Games' website. I'm presuming it will be. I hope it will be. But but the Learn to Play really leaves a lot of stuff vague, let's just mm. say that. And some things we're, we're playing, and we're, I, maybe it's a deliberate choice to kind of navigate player behavior in terms of like, don't worry too much about getting it right, you know? But it feels annoying. Um, and I, I am getting slightly frustrated by the fact that there isn't a rules reference and and I feel like not including one was a big mistake. Yeah, it's all very well to say, go ahead and do 
what you think is best, but it's not very helpful because you don't know if you're playing the game right. Yeah, and it's, for some people, it's important to know. You know, like we, you know, I get I get kind of particular about it, and it makes me feel worse for not knowing. You know,、mm. and I don't want to feel worse. I want to have a nice time. You know,、um, and yeah, so I, I'm I'm not a big fan of that decision, and it feels I don't know cheap in a game that is very expensive. I think that concludes podcast twenty-three, Efka. I think that would be the end of it. Yes, but first, Elaine, why don't you tell us wh- where could we find more of of what we just heard? More of no pun included. Yes. Oh wow!、Uh, YouTube.com forward slash no pun included will show you all of our videos. You can also go to no pun included dot com forward slash podcast to listen to any of our other podcast episodes, and please leave a comment on on our website, or you can leave a comment on SoundCloud or on iTunes. All of those really help us out. We love reading those, and it's the only way that we can really hear what you have to say, whether you like our podcasts or not. And if you leave it a review on iTunes, apparently that helps as well. Thank you for that. And if you can't wait for、uh, Legends of the Dark more coverage, descent, then that's that's going to be on our YouTube channel. Elaine、mm. gave you the link for that soon. But there's other videos there. There's the video for、uh, some of the wars that we just did.、Mm-hmm. Uh, go check that out.、Uh, it's a fun video that features a fun vegetable. And <laughs> also,、uh, I did a video on Kanban,、uh, which was a more kind of a Uh, setting exploration, thematic exploration of of a heavy euro game, and you might not be into that, but I think it's very interesting, and I think you should go check it out. And with that, why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine.